illegal participation on the defense. 15-yard penalty from the previous spot remains first down. This had better be a big play after all of that. Second down at eight, four and a half to go in the half, six nothing Beavers. Jonathan from the right hash from the zone 25, goes back to throw, and throws the out, and it's caught, and it's going to be a big play! Chad Johnson down the left sideline, nobody will catch Chad, and it's a touchdown 75 yards for the Beavers! This is the moment, and right here will tell perhaps all about that. Third and one and a half in the right hash. Simon's in the handoff, can't cut to the left, first down and more, 30, 25, 20, Simonton on his way, 10, into the end zone, touchdown Beavers, and the streak is going to end here tonight. The snap on target to Nick. he gets a much better punt away here, Sammy Strotter back to his 30 yard line, starts up the middle, gets to the 40, he's got a seam, 45 midfield, 45, 40, he's got a chance to go, 20, 15, 10, 5, Welcome to Illegal Participation, the official podcast of the Heiner Tailgater. Recording this while firmly ensconced at the Heiner Tailgater headquarters, I'm your host and the big bald guy behind the grill, Bill Heine Heinrich. Joining me, as always, from the Twin Pines Vineyards and Airbnb, the director of thermodynamic lipid immersion, my co-host and brother, the Beach. Beach, how in the heck are you doing? Dude, Billy, I'm exhausted. Dude, I was destroyed last night. Like, we got back here, we dropped the stuff off, I came inside, and I fell asleep on the couch. <laughs> so, I I did about the same thing. I, I got done helping you unload the trucks, hmm. and I drove home to my, my little place in Dundee here, and took a shower, and went to bed. Hmm. So, and Ooh. I woke up this morning, and I looked, and I still look like hell. <laughs> so, yeah, I finally got everything. That's, maybe that's just far for the course with me, yeah. I don't know. So like I said, it was, it was, I don't know. It just beat me up yesterday for some reason. I understand why it beat you up. Oh, you had a lot oh. to cook. I did. I worked all day. Yeah. My, my, so. all my cooking was done early. Mm-hmm. I, I, I deep fried all day trying okay. to keep our fries, fries coming. All right. Well, we'll, we'll recap that when we talk about the game later. I want to remind everyone, uh, the purpose of illegal participation is for us to talk beaver sports, tailgating, and anything else we might find fun and interesting every week. Um, get in touch with us, HeinrichTailgator, gmail.com, at HeinrichTailgator on Twitter, also HeinrichTailgator on Facebook. We did get a couple emails this week, Beach. Oh, that's awesome. But one was from Dano and one was from Kyle. And so I s- still hate you, Kyle. I'm really not confirming that we have any more than, like, five listeners. Yeah. The, the amount of downloads we get every week says differently, but, you know, it all remains to be seen. Yeah, but I, I download stuff I never listen to either. But, yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> all right, BJ, you want to talk about a little Beaver sports news for the week? Yeah, what's going on in the world of Beaver sports, Billy? Well, first up is women's volleyball. <sighs> yes. 
the Oregon State uh, women's volleyball team. What was that? Got got to, like David Lee Ross says, let me reach down between my legs and ease the seat back. Okay, I'm ready. The Oregon State women's volleyball team fell to Santa Clara in three sets on Friday. They were playing in Boise at the Boise State Classic that was hosted by Boise State. Then on Sunday, Beach, the volleyball team dropped the final match of the Boise State Classic to Boise State. That drops the Beavers a 2-8 and eight on the season. And the Beavs will be back in action on Wednesday against Oregon in Eugene for the first game of the Rivalry Series match of 2021, formerly known as the Civil War. wonder when they'll change it back to the Civil War. Probably never. Uh, but we'll just continue to call it that way. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Because I think so, it's stupid. Yeah. Is uh, Does Boise State have blue uh, volleyball courts? I don't know, Beach. Let me look. That was a good question. There is some blue on it, but it's not all blue. No. Not all blue. Okay. Nope. nope, okay. nope. Regular volleyball court, but it's got a big old um, Boise State Bronco in the middle. Okay. Okay. So, nope. I was just, I, you know, just with their field, I just thought maybe they had a theme going on throughout the university. It's a good question. Good question. They, they, they probably only got a couple more years of that turf left before they got to go back to green, don't they? I don't know anymore, Beach, because I've seen some other teams that, what is it, Coastal Carolina has a, has like turquoise field. Really? And Eastern Washington's got red, right? Yeah. Um, but. I thought in order to be in the NCAA. Yeah. Er, uh, they, yeah. They the have of coastal Carolina has teal turf. So that's just a bad die job. Okay. Let me look up NCAA football field color rules. The NCAA does not ban colored fields, but the NFL does. It's known as the Boise state rule. It's a myth that ducks fly into the turf mask, mistaking it for the river. However, the myth is true. Ducks, do crash on the blue is still one of the best selling Bronco shop game day shirts. So there you go. Nice. Yep. So here, what teams have colored fields? So, so only the NFL uh, says no. The NCAA doesn't care. Yeah. So here, the Lindenwood Lynx. I don't know what Lindenwood Stadium is. Here, I don't like that one. Here's a different list. Okay. Let's see here. So, Boise State has blue. Coastal Carolina Chanticleers has teal. Mm-hmm. The Luther College Norse in Decorah, Iowa has blue. They're Division Three. Central okay. Arkansas Bears have purple and gray alternating every five yards. Ooh. Oh, that's going to be weird. Yeah. So Boise State's nicknamed the Smurf Turf. Coastal Carolina, since it's teal, is nicknamed the Surf Turf. Central Arkansas, since it's alternating purple and gray, playing on the stripes. Okay. So Lindenwood Stadium of the Lindenwood Lynx in Bellevue, Illinois, that's NAIA football, so that's even smaller. It's like okay. um, red and gray alternating every five yards has been called the nation's most original football field. Hmm. 
the New Haven Chargers in West Haven, Connecticut, which is a Division II team, has blue. Eastern Washington Eagles has red. Eastern Michigan Eagles has gray. Okay, here's one. So, the Tomahawks field of the Hosai Orange in Tokyo, Japan, of the Japan American Football Association, and they play in the Kantoa Collegiate American Football Association as blue. And they were granted special permission and an international trademark from Boise State to use blue turf. Really? 2012, yeah, there you go. Then there's a whole bunch of um, other levels of football that have different colors. Ohio, hmm. West Salem in Salem has black, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, I've seen that one because that's just up the field or up the road from us here. Up the road and up the hill. Yep. The National Football League has prohibited the use of non-traditional field colors without league permission since 2011, and no team in the league has ever attempted doing so. There you go. And it is the Boise State rule. Yep, the Boise State rule. So there you go. There's all your updated on all that information. Good to know. Good to know. I'll sleep better. Yeah, there you go. All right, Beach, I want to talk about a little women's soccer. (sighs) Okay, I'm already adjusted out. Let me. Oh, that feels good. Okay, all right. All right, Beach, the Oregon State women's soccer team capped non conference play with a 3-2 win over North Dakota on Friday at Lorenz Field in Corvallis. The Bees are now 8-0 on the season, and they will open up Pac-12 play on September 24th at USC in L.A. at 4 p.m. All right. There you go. So 8-0, pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Now, on the same page, men's soccer, they did not play this week, but they are set to host UC Santa Barbara on Tuesday at 7 p.m., Lorenz Field. Tickets are available for that game, ranging from four to six bucks, and there will be live stats and a live stream also available. Hmm. So if you're in the area and feel like it, go out and check out some men's soccer. It's right there, basically behind where we tailgate. When uh, Greg and I were setting up the tent uh, last Friday morning, the uh, North Dakota women's team were uh, out practicing. They all looked at us kind of weird. And I don't know if that's because we were putting up a tent or just because it was Greg and I. So there you go. Interesting. All right, Beach. Uh, and on our final note of the week, we have a little bit of football news. What's the news in football, Billy? Well, Beach, than- Oregon State redshirt junior Jack Coletto has been named to the Horning Award weekly honor roll. The Louisville Sports Commission announced on Monday. Now, Beach, the Horning Award uh, recognizes student athletes who excel on both sides of the ball and or special teams. Now, last week, Beach, Coletto scored Oregon State's first touchdown in the Beavs' 45-27 win over Hawaii. His two-yard score was the first of five on the day. And uh, the Beavs, uh, Coletto also totaled 15 yards rushing. He added one tackle on special teams. Now, so far this season, Coletto has run the ball eight times for 25 yards over two games, has four tackles, one tackle for loss, and he also returned one kickoff return for 11 yards. And people call him, awesome. yeah, people call him the, the Swiss Army knife or the Jack of all trades, since it's Jack Coletto, because he came to the Oregon State Beach as a quarterback. 
and he has excelled in everything else. Well, and he kind of realized he wasn't getting a lot of, wasn't probably going to get a lot of playing time at quarterback. So he actually approached Jonathan Smith about moving to linebacker. And Jonathan Smith was kind of surprising. Like, have you ever never played linebacker? And he was like, he was like, no, but you know, I think I'm a pretty good athlete. I think I can do it. And so the first day he went over with the linebackers, he's like, with, I'm with you guys today. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about quarterback? And he was like, no, I'm with you guys. And he's picked it up and he plays pretty well. Plus he comes in on those short down situations cause he's still got quarterback skills. And so he'll take the direct snap and run the ball. And he, he they brought him in one play against Hawaii where he came in as a lead blocker for BJ Baylor on one of his touchdown runs. You know, he's on, he's on every, he, he plays offense, defense, and every special team except PAT. So punts, punt returns, kickoffs, kickoff returns. He does it all. Well, it wasn't that you and I talked about this probably God knows how many years ago since we've been doing this, but how a good majority of the players that get brought into college football are great athletes. uh, were great athletes and typically they were quarterbacks, even though they might be recruited not to be a quarterback. Correct. Correct. Sometimes you'll see those guys brought in as a quote unquote athlete. Cause they're like, this guy's just a great athlete. We're going to figure out what we do with him when we get here. And see, he, he, he was recruited um, as a, in the FCS division. So like Portland state's division um, Mm -hmm. as a quarterback. And so he went that route and went basically kind of went to a junior college and then he got, you know, he was seen and he was brought to Oregon State as a quarterback. But when he got here, he just kind of realized, I'm not probably going to see the field like this because these guys that are playing quarterback at this league are really good. you know. Mm-hmm. And But he's like, I'm a pretty good athlete. I love the game of football. I just want to do whatever I can to get on the field. So that's kind of his mentality. And his dream has always been to play in the NFL. And, you know, he might do it, but he kind of realized – you know, the, the, the dream is the NFL. You can't worry about the details. You can't yeah. make it so specific that I've got to be playing quarterback. I just, I want to mm. get to the NFL. I want to get to that level of football. So we'll see. But he's fun to watch. He's fun when he comes in. Because he's going to throw the ball. He's going to run the ball. Like I said, they brought him in that one time as the lead, as a fullback, basically. He lined up as a fullback position and was the lean blocker. So. Hmm. Also on that note, Beach, um, running back B.J. Baylor was named an honorable mention selection for the weekly Earl Campbell Tyler Rose Award um, announced last Tuesday. Um, against Hawaii, he ran for 171 yards and three touchdowns, setting career highs in both categories. He also had a 66-yard touchdown run in that game, the second longest of his career. And this week, I think he had 80-some-odd yards, but added another two touchdowns. So He's either first or second in the NCAA for scoring right now. Alrighty. I'll look it up. See what he's see where he's at. Uh, he's got seven touchdowns on the year. He's fourth overall in touchdowns. Oh, and there are a couple running backs that have eight. So there you go. He's second in overall in touchdowns, but first in the uh, Pac-12. There you go. All right, Beach. Alrighty. Billy. Yes, Beach. Do you hear that? I do hear that. Hold on. Just a sec. Billy. Yes, Beach. This just in. University of Oregon announces record fundraising. 
the university raised 3.24 billion with a B, a fundraising record for both the institution and the state as a whole. The University of Oregon announced Wednesday that it has set a record by fundraising more than $3 billion. The university raised 3.24 billion from 147,000 donors, a fundraising record for both the 125-year-old institution and for the state as a whole. U of, O's campaign began, U of O's campaign began in 2014 when it set a goal to raise at least $2 billion from donors. The university said the fundraising money is going towards renovating the campus, creating facilities for science research and black student life. It also funded other efforts such as $427 million in financial assistance for students through scholarships like the university's Pathway Oregon program which serves students who are Oregon residents and have exceptional financial need. So it says the true success of the campaign is demonstrated through the people it has helped and their remarkable accomplishments. Thanks to the generosity of our donors, we have increased support for our faculty. I just want to repeat, we have increased support for our faculty as well as comprehensive student success programs such as Pathway Oregon. This campaign has made the University of Oregon a place of discovery, innovation, diversity, and unsurpassed excellence. Now, uh, interesting fact, uh, on July 6th, the University of Oregon received a second $500 million gift from Nike co-founder Phil Knight. Don't know if you were aware of that back in July. I remember hearing about it. But I, I did some research on where this money's going. Okay. So Ducks opened up a new, or they just announced that they are building a new hall. And this is going to be called the D. Norval Unthank Junior Hall. Um, Unthank? Which came back. Unthank. U-N-T-H-A-N-K. Unthank. Uh, named after their first black graduate of the University of Oregon. So anyway, well, listen to this. Okay, so New Center offers a warm welcome to potential ducks. The University of Oregon has unveiled a new interactive state-of-the-art student welcome center, a starting point for campus tours that also offers meeting spaces, lounges, residence hall model rooms, and a theater for large group presentations. Located on the north end of Dean Norval, Unthank Junior Hall, U of O's newest residence hall, the Student Welcome Center is more than 10 times the size of its former space, an 833-square-foot presentation room in the Ford Alumni Center. The new location includes more than 8,500 square feet of public-facing space, in addition to offices for student orientation staff. Including the word welcome in the name is not without reason, said Roger J. Thompson, Vice President for Student Services and Enrollment Management, probably a son of a bitch who makes 150 grand a year for doing nothing. We want every positive student who comes through these doors to feel at home and to know that there is a place for them at the University of Oregon. The theme of home is amplified throughout the expansive space. The Eastern Wing, they have an Eastern Wing of the center, oh, referred to as the library, has shelves. With books, most of them authored by U of O faculty members and alumni. So uh, I could go on on that one, but mainly just a way for overpaid, uh, uh, overpaid uh, uh, professors to squeeze more money out of the uh, the massively in debt students that go through there. 
Um, anyway, also on display are yearbook yearbooks and framed profiles of renowned ducks. And an illustrated wall mural depicts all the majors that ducks can choose from. Gender studies, underwater basket weaving, self-masturbation. Um, at the opposite end, the living room is filled with comfortable couches and chairs where families can relax before and after their tours. On-campus living is a common question among visitors. They will find answers in three nooks that represent model rooms, close to scale and based on common room styles, including one with a private bath. The mock-ups provide examples of how much room is available. Bill. What, what the hell? This is like a freaking, this reminds me of like a uh, a uh, vacation club presentation yeah. location, right? Well, here's our model rooms and here's all you're going to get. And oh my God. Yeah. Uh, the, the, so I'm not the alone when I read this. <laughs> yeah. What the With hell? 19, 19 room layouts currently available. Visitors can explore the other residence hall options with virtual reality headsets, one of many high-tech highlights throughout the faculty facility. Encouraging exploration and rewarding curiosity, other features of the Welcome Center include an Instagram-ready backdrop with interchangeable backlit fabric panels. I don't even know what the frick that is. <laughs> an enchanted book that uses infrared remote sensing to project text images and videos as pages are turned lockers that hold videos recordings and other surprises uh hookers maybe uh, a tabletop where for the you know football um recruits uh anyway a tabletop where visitors can place a pin in a map to indicate their hometown or write a postcard to friend or family member custom wallpaper artwork and videos designed and produced by U of O creative staff. The largest room in the Welcome Center, we haven't gotten the largest room yet, is the theater, which has more than 150 seats, plus five spaces for Americans with Disabilities Act accommodation, wider seats for these people's fat asses, and generous spacing between rows allow for comfortable viewing of the 32-foot-wide digital display screen, not projection, digital display screen. This Student Welcome Center truly is a showcase of everything the University of Oregon offers from academics and research to student involvement campus life, Thompson said. By giving our prospective students an overview of life as a duck, like an unrealistic life as a human, I am confident students and families will come away thinking what we already know. There's a lot of special things about this place. Dude, I, I swear you know, to God, it's just, it, it's disgusting. You know what you they know, could have done with that money? They could have just paid down tuition for every student. That's what I'm thinking. You know, and, and they're raping the students, you know, so they're they're buying crap here that really doesn't do anything for these students' no. education in the grand scheme of things. No. They are building massive structures to the architecture gods throughout the university. And Oregon State's no different, but Oregon is really the pinnacle right here of what they do. I mean, freaking Phil Knight gives $500 million. And I mean, how much do you think that little piece of sh this place cost? I don't know. I mean, how much did it cost? I, it doesn't say it doesn't. I mean, I, cause probably if they did, they'd be embarrassed. But the, the fact of the matter is these kids are graduating from college with massive debt that they cannot pay back. The government has backed their loans with no, no guarantee of repayment, right? I mean, you're going and you're getting a gender studies degree. And you're borrowing 150 grand. What can you do with a gender studies degree that's going to make you enough money to pay off a $150,000 loan? 
right? Yeah. They're, they're putting these kids in debt. And all they're doing is these professors and these the people that run these institutions are taking fat salaries home all for what? You're, you're, I mean, you are just ripping these poor kids off. They never got a good high school education because, well, we don't even give grades anymore. Well, what do we do? We don't even test and they, they don't even have to pass any standards to graduate high school. And apparently we don't even give them any good kind of, uh, of economics class or any kind yeah. of personal finance because most of them don't know how to calculate interest. You know, I, I thought it was disgusting when they were doing stuff like that for the football team. Mm-hmm. And it's just – it's gross. It's it's gross. I, I, I just don't get it. I don't – It's just disgusting. It really, it really is. Oh, and here's the mock-up dorms. Oh, my God. Yeah, here's there's the dorm. So there's your your two beds and your desk and your little kitchenette area and stuff, and your cork boards on the wall. Very nice. You can get a feel for dorm life. It says the double showroom with bath includes an illustration of the view from the top floor of Unthank Hall. Oh, so I see. They they put a fake window out there so you can see what it would look at the end of the at the end of your dorm room. So. So where the door would you would walk in is actually just a big open box, right? So it's like they just took the whole wall out, right? And so then you can see the two beds on the left. You can see the desk on the right. And then your little uh, uh, wardrobe area, right? And then you look through. And at the very end, they have a mocked up window. And it's looking out over uh, – over, uh, I don't know if that's Hayward Field or what. It's not. It's not Odson. It's something though, because you would be able to see Odson from. Uh, maybe it's the Phil. I have no idea. Anyway, God bless them. It's just I'm disgusting. Just, I'm just glad they can take advantage of these poor students and rip them off, and then tell them, "Oh, it's okay. You totally got a good education. We provided you a great value for the thousands of dollars we stole from you. Yeah. It was a great value. Trust us. Tens you know, of thousands." Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Well, it's funny because these kids wonder why it costs so much. I'm like, because you got to keep up all these damn buildings. Yeah. The you got to keep up cost- all these buildings. And look, in the last year, none of you were on campus and you were still mm-hmm. going to school. Yeah. And, and and going forward, I mean, I keep hearing that going forward, you're going to see less and less. Well, you know, here's an interesting article I read. Sorry to go too deep in the weeds on this one. But, you know, they said that men are actually not going to colleges at the rates they were. They're, have you heard this? Yeah. Women have, out, they, they, have, out, women have outpaced men at college for a number of years and getting degrees, uh, finishing with degrees. Yeah. And, and men. Going anymore. They're like done. Yeah. And in some questions, I wonder if they're realizing it's not a good value. It's it's a waste. Yeah. And uh, now if men aren't going at, at the rates they were, I mean, maybe they're going to just, like I said, maybe they're looking for something else that they can't find at a college. So anyway, it's going to be interesting. But I I hope uh, I, I, it would be curious on how much they spent on this thing. Oh, yeah, it's ugly. Are you ready to go under further review for week number three in the Pac-12? After further review, the runner did cross the line. I am ready to go. I think let me let me take a look at my let me take a look at my scorecard here. Damn it. Damn it, damn it, damn it. I thought I picked Fresno State. Son of a bitch. Okay, never mind. 
Go on. Okay, so heading into this week, uh, Kyle, I hate you, Kyle, was at 12 out of 19. I was at 13 out of 19, and you were in first place at 14 out of 19. We did mm-hmm. get Kyle's picks. He did send them to me, so I have them written down here. Yeah, just like, what, 10 minutes before the game started. Yeah, yeah. He, he got him in. He got him in in time. So we've got him here. All right, and you had a good week, Beej. Did I? Yes. Well, that's good. Okay, first up, Minnesota at Colorado. Uh, Minnesota at Colorado. I took Minnesota. You took Colorado. And we don't know what Kyle took until Kyle took Minnesota. Okay. Trey Potts ran for three touchdowns, and Minnesota's swarming defense held Colorado to just 63 total yards, and the Gophers won their 21st straight non-conference game by beating the Buffaloes 30 to nothing on Saturday. Now, this marked the first time Colorado has been shut out at Folsom Field since November 3rd, 2012, against Stanford. The last non-conference team to shut out Colorado in Boulder was LSU in 1979. Now, in addition, it was the first shutout of a Power 5 team on the road by Minnesota since 1977 at Illinois. Mm. So, yeah, Colorado just looked like hell in that game. Is this going to be a building year for Colorado, Billy? Well, they've got a new coach. They've got that Carl Durrell. I was never that impressed with Durrell when he was the head coach at UCLA. I'm surprised Colorado hired him. He just never looked that dynamic to me, and he didn't look to be enough as of a great X's and O's coach to me to warrant another shot, but, you know, who knows? Why did Duck get rid of him? Because he didn't win? Because he didn't win. Yeah. I, I, and like I said, I, he's not very dynamic. He doesn't have, like, that force of personality to rally guys. And to me, he didn't seem to be a great, like I said, offensive or defensive kind of strategy guy. So, anyways, you and Kyle picked up the win there. What does he care? He's getting millions of dollars. Okay. Next up, USC at Wazoo. Ooh. You picked USC. I picked Wazoo. And Kyle picked? USC. USC freshman quarterback Jackson Dart came off the bench to throw Four touchdown passes as Southern California rebounded from last weekend's tough loss to Stanford and the subsequent firing of Coach Clay Hilton with a 45-14 victory over Washington State on Saturday. Now, Dart replaced an injured Keaton Slovis in the second series of the game. He completed 30 of 46 passes for 391 yards with two interceptions as Southern California won its first game under interim coach Dante Williams, who became the first black head coach in program history. Now, Jaden Delora threw for 117 yards and a pair of TDs for Washington State, which jumped out to a 14-0 lead and then watched the Trojans score 45 unanswered points, mostly in the second half. Hmm. And I've been watching replay of that game, and, yeah, they just tore them apart through the air in the second half. All right, Beach, so I got the win there. So to Kyle, you did not. Next up, Sacramento State at Cal. I thought you said I did well. You're one and one. Okay. All right. Uh, Sacramento at Cal. You and I both picked uh, the cat, the Bears. So the Bears. did so did Kyle. Cal quarterback Chase Garbers threw for 288 yards and two touchdowns. Nico Rodjamio 
returned the second half kickoff for a score, and Cal beat Sac State 42-30 to for its first win of the season. Now, Garbers led the Bears to TD drives on their first two possessions of the game on drives capped by four-yard TD runs from Damian Moore. Now, Garbers got into the act himself when he connected on a 45-yard TD pass to Jeremiah Hunter late in the first half and a 12-yard touchdown to Trevon Clark in the third. He also ran for a 16-yard score in the fourth. Hmm. So Cal got a win. Be it against that's, that's, a, Is that going to be their only win for the season? I don't think so, but we'll wait and see. Hmm. They still, oh, they get to play Colorado, so that'll be good. <laughs> so we all got a win there. All right, Beige, up, or hopefully they get to play Arizona. Up next, Arkansas State at Washington. And you and I both grabbed the Huskies on this one. So did Kyle. Dylan Morris passed for 367 yards and three TDs. Jalen McMillan had 10 catches for 175 yards and a score. And Washington rebounded from two disappointing losses with a 52-3 win over Arkansas State on Saturday. Now, after losing stunningly to Montana to open the season and getting run over last week at Michigan, the Huskies needed a convincing performance to stop the season from spiling away before the beginning of Pac-12 conference play. And they did on Saturday. Hmm. So there's a win there. Arkansas State is not very good. And well, Washington just kind of squished them. Yeah. Okay. So we all got the win there. Up next, Beach, Utah at San Diego State. You and I differed on this one, Billy. You picked Utah and I picked San Diego State. Um, Kyle took Utah also. Quarterback Lucas Johnson caught a two-point conversion pass from Jesse Matthews in triple overtime, and San Diego State blew a 14-point lead in the final minutes of regulation before hanging on for a 33-31 victory over the Utes on Saturday night. Now, Johnson scored easily on a picture-perfect Philly special after both teams' kickers missed field goal attempts in double overtime. Moments later, the Aztecs collectively ran across the field in a frenzy when officials reversed their call of a two-point conversion catch by Utah's Connor O'Toole, ruling the ball hit the turf. Now, Utah quarterback, backup quarterback, excuse me, Cameron Rising, led the Utes in probable comeback, passing for 153 yards and three TDs while engineering three strong regulation drives after replacing ineffective Charlie Brewer late in the third quarter. So they ran the Philly Special Beach, which is a play that Philadelphia one ran to win the uh, Super Bowl a couple years ago, where it's basically a pitch by the quarterback to the running back, who runs out, turns around, and throws it to back to the wide receiver or back to the quarterback who's running the opposite way into the end zone. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And so they ran that um, to because after no, after nobody's really covering the quarterback. Well, yeah, and they actually had a guy that was trying to get out there on him, but just didn't get there in time. Because after so, uh, after the first overtime, you got to start going for two if you score a touchdown. But you lost me though. But they 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 ruled the two point conversion. So no, so Fresno or excuse me, so San Diego State scored on the two point conversion. Utah got the ball back, scored a touchdown. They then had to go for two themselves, and they threw the ball out to the tight end, I believe. Um, the catch was ruled a, a, a completion, but under mm-hmm. further review, it was ruled incomplete because the ball hit the turf. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, I was a little confused on the description there. Yep. Wow. Well, that's exciting. Uh, yeah. 
So we're not we're not there yet, but I went to dinner with mom and dad tonight, and dad said that the Fresno State UCLA game was fantastic. Yep. He said you could watch that one over again. So, but what's up next? We're not there yet. Stanford and Vanderbilt, I believe. Um, no, up next is Stony Brook at Oregon. Ooh, Stony Brook at Oregon. And we all reluctantly, and I'm assuming Kyle as well, took Oregon. Um, yes, he did. Well, so you you won the last one game. Uh, you you took San Diego State and won. Kyle and I did not because we both took Utah. Yep. Okay, Beats. So Oregon quarterback Anthony Brown Jr. left Saturday's game against Stony Brook at halftime due to an apparent injury and did not return, but he is expected to be healthy going forward. Now, Brown was 14 for 18 for 159 yards with a touchdown and ran in a score uh, before being sacked on back-to-back plays to end the first, first half as the Ducks took a 17-7 lead into the break. Um, the six-year senior left the field at halftime, but it didn't really matter because Oregon went on to win 48-7. to Wow. Yep. They were doing, I mean, cause, yeah, because the last score I saw was like 7-17. to Yeah. So I thought they might be doing okay. Yep, they so. ended up winning well. So they actually covered, because I think the spread in that game was like 38. Okay. So we all got the win there. Up next, Beach, Stanford at Vanderbilt. Hold on, I got to make my, my marks here for my count. Okay, Stanford at Vanderbilt. Um, you and I took Stanford. How about Kyle? Kyle took Vanderbilt. Oh, really? Yep. How'd that work out for Kyle? Tanner McGee ran for a touchdown, threw for two more. Stanford beat Vanderbilt 41-23 Saturday night in the first meeting between the programs best known for their academics. Now, Stanford started the season playing the first three games on the road, the only Power 5 program this season to even play its first two straight games away from home. That's after playing the final four games of the 2020 season away from home because of COVID. So they've, they've, they've played um, seven straight games away from home at this point. Wow. Now Stanford took control, scoring 13 points in the final 153 of the second quarter. They then uh, scored on the first possession of the third quarter for 20 points and then just control the game from there on. Hmm. So Stanford's looking a lot better after that opening uh, loss to Kansas State. So you and I got the win there. Kyle, however, did not. Up next, Beach, Northern Arizona at Arizona. I went out on a limb and I picked Northern Arizona. You picked the Wildcats. So did Kyle. Well, Beads, with a roster full of players that other FPS programs didn't want, Northern Arizona pulled off a program-defining victory while extending Arizona's school record losing streak to 15 games with a 21-19 victory over the Wildcats Saturday night. Arizona took the lead on Kevin Daniels' 12-yard run in the third quarter, then went up 21-13 on R.J. Martinez's 9-yard TD pass to Hendricks Johnson. Even after Arizona scored late, the Lumberjacks kept their composure, stuffing a two-point conversion and fair catching a pooch kick to end a 14-game losing streak to Arizona that dated back to 1932. Really? Yep. It just shows you how bad Arizona is this year. <laughs> it's bad with a, bunch of, with, with a bunch of players that nobody else wanted pretty much <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and that's what happens to some of these schools. Like you go there and look at them and because uh, there's so much more transferring going on in this day and age, mm-hmm. you look at some of those schools. And I remember I was wa- I listening to a game the other day and it was Washington state, not Washington state, Eastern Washington. And they were talking about their offensive line. And they're like, that guy is a transfer from Notre Dame. That guy is a transfer from Arizona. That guy is a transfer from Iowa. I mean, they were all guys that, you know, had been offered scholarships to, to, you know, big programs. And then for whatever mm-hmm. reason, transferred. You know, so it's they had talent. You know, they weren't horrible. So it's just interesting. Interesting to see what you got anymore. So it's really kind of changed the, uh, the makeup of college football. But Beach, yeah. you got the win there. Kyle and I did not. I like to think it's because of my superior intellect, but I don't think so. Up next, Beach, uh Fresno State at UCLA. Fresno State at UCLA. I regret this decision, but uh, all, I picked UCLA. So did you? All three of us did. Oh. Fresno State's quarterback threw for 455 yards, including the go-ahead touchdown pass to Jalen Cropper with 14 seconds remaining as the Bulldogs beat the Bruins 40-37 to Saturday night at the Rose Bowl. Now, Fresno State finished the job against the Pac-12 program after leading then-number-11 Oregon in the fourth quarter two weeks ago before losing. Now, after UCLA regained the lead with 54 seconds left on Dorian Thompson-Robinson's 15-yard pass to Kyle Phillips, a limping Hainer, Jake Hayner, he's the quarterback for Fresno State, directed a six-play, 75-yard drive that gave the Bulldogs their fourth straight win over the Bruins. Yeah, he was limping hard. He was just beat Dad's, up. Dad said he was amazing. Mm-hmm. They yeah. said he, uh, he led that team to that win. It was He carried that team. Yep, yep. And they're, they're kind of trying to take him out, but he kept waving mm-hmm. him off saying, no, I'm staying. So it was impressive. Impressive gutty game. I was watching the end of that one. That was that was that was a great game to watch. If you have a chance to catch it on replay or the um uh in sixty on the Pac twelve network, do it because it was great. Okay. All right, Beach. The one game there was one game, two games we didn't pick. One, because we're not picking the Oregon State game every uh anymore. And two, mm-hmm. we forgot to pick the Arizona State at BYU game. Ooh, okay. And I don't know if obviously I forgot it when you and I talked about it, and I don't know if Kyle listened to us and didn't pick it because we didn't, or he just forgot to pick it too, but he didn't pick it either. So, Beach, in that game, Jaron Hall threw for 214 yards and two touchdowns and added 38 yards on seven carries, leading number 23 BYU to a 27 to 17 victory over number 19 Arizona State on Saturday. For Arizona State, Jalen Daniels threw for 265 yards to lead the Devils, but also tossed a pair of interceptions. Daniel Nagata, sorry, Daniel Nada ran for 82 yards and touchdown to lead Arizona State's ground attack. Crazy. Yep. And then, of course, Beach, the final game we'll talk about for the weekend, Idaho at Oregon State. Great game, Billy. Yes, it was. Oregon State quarterback Chance Nolan passed for three touchdowns and B.J. Baylor ran for two scores as the Beavs amassed 438 total yards and were stout defensively. Now, Oregon State led 28 to nothing at halftime and was not challenged by the Vandals, who've lost 17 of the past 18 matchups against the Beavs dating back to 1953. Now, it was Oregon State's first shutout 
since a 3-0 victory over Pitt in the 2008 Sun Bowl. Idaho was limited to 192 total yards and didn't get inside the Beavers' 20-yard line until late in the third quarter after an interception of OSU backup quarterback Sam Neuer. What did you think of the game, Beej? I thought, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because I'll sit there and watch a game and I stress the whole time because mm-hmm. it's the Beavers. We're, we're not convincing in our wins and it's always a stressful game. And so you're always right down to the last minute if we're even in the lead to watch that. Then you get a game like this one where it was comfortable the whole time and it wasn't as fun to watch, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though we did look really good. Yeah. But, uh, it, uh, but you know, every now and then you need a comfortable game where you're not stressing. Yeah. So. Well, and the Beavs got a lot of guys into that game. You had three different quarterbacks throw passes. You had mm-hmm. six different running backs. Um, make runs and you had, I think 11 different guys catch passes, which is great, right? No, fantastic. Yeah. So you had, you know, three different receivers catch touchdown passes. You had, uh, two different uh, running backs score. It was, it was a great game. And really the beast probably could have scored 50 or 60 points in that game, but they really started, uh, substituting liberally after that first drive of the second quarter or first drive of the second half. And they yeah, pulled a no, lot of guys like, out. But and as yeah, much... And go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, it's nice to see them get some uh, get some playing time. Yeah. And, you know, you said... You go. So... Yeah, and I felt a little bad for Idaho. But... Just because they weren't able to score. Just because they weren't able to score. But I also feel good for the Beavs keeping them out. You know, especially mm-hmm. they had a turnover down there deep in their own territory. And the defense, you know, really uh, st- stiffened up and kept them out of the end zone. It was, it was good to see. I can't remember what, what coach it was, but I remember one coach, and it might have been Riley. You know, my, my job isn't to allow them to score points, or their job is to keep me from scoring points. My job is to score the points. Well, no, his, so, his, his thing was – his job was to stop the other team from scoring points. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, I, I, I can't worry about them. You know, people, oh, they're rolling up the score. No, no, there isn't. They were playing their game. We've got to play ours. If we don't like how much yeah. they're scoring, we need to stop them. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, that's true. You know, this isn't T-ball. This isn't T-ball. But I just, I like the way they did it. And you get the guys out there and, you know, you get some guys some playing time and it keeps them more involved in what's going on. It makes them more excited to come in and practice on Monday. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Yep. I've always been impressed with Boise State for that because that goes way back to when they first started winning games in the early two thousands or mid two thousands. That you know, if you practice, you played, and I, I always appreciated that. You know, mm-hmm. everybody, and it kept everybody more involved in what was going on. So, all right, Beach. So after this weekend, oh, you know what we didn't talk about was our our tailgater. Oh, great well, that tailgate. was pretty good. Yeah, great it tailgate. Was a fantastic. Yeah. Not a ton of people, but we had a pretty good turnout. Um, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it's not as many as we had the week before. Yeah, but, you know, with an early kickoff time and questionable weather, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. And I thought everybody – it, it held its own and held, held off for uh, for that uh, – for the tailgater. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it started raining until, what, the 
fourth quarter. Yeah, and by then, everyone just kind of moved undercover mm-hmm. in the game. But no, I think people enjoyed the food. Um, like I said, you worked your butt off keeping all the french fries going. Yeah. You were frying your tur- took us off. Like and I that, said, all my stuff frick- had been was ready the night before, so. Well, and that freaking chicken you made, the, the chicken, the Verde chicken or whatever you called that, that was phenomenal. You like that? Oh, it was, it was, it was fantastic. Nice. Nice. So, like I said, I fake it pretty good. Oh, you do well. You do well. Yeah, so, look, look anyway, forward. Yeah, pretty good. Got a couple weeks till our next one now. All right, Beach. that will be against, against you, the, the, the dogs. Oh, okay. Um, I was oh, going to say, oh, that's right. yeah, I was going to say, let's uh, talk about the Pac-12 that are in the polls that came out in the AP poll. Oregon moved up one spot to number three. UCLA fell 11 spots to number 24. And Arizona State followed the polls. USC followed the poll. And Stanford. All three of those teams are in the others receiving votes category. Okay. But Arizona State and USC fell out. In this USA Today coaches poll, Oregon remained at number four. UCLA again fell 11 spots to number 24. And USC, Arizona State, and Stanford are all in the others receiving votes category. Hmm. So uh, right now the top five in the AP poll is Alabama, Georgia, Oregon, Oklahoma, Iowa. And in the coaches poll, it is Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Oregon, Texas A&M. Hmm. So looks like the uh, – see, it's a little different. Coaches have – AP has Penn State at six. Coaches has Penn State at eight. So, yep. It'll be interesting to see. See how things work out. Well, because we haven't there, – there hasn't even been a – has there even been a conference game yet in any of the – Yeah, the uh, you know, USC played uh, Washington State this week. Oh, There's been a couple here true. and there, but we're now we should be getting into the meat of that. All right, Beach, it is now time for the Tommy Tuberville. What do you think I look like? A jackass? Sure do. <laughs> Jackass of the Week Award. Every week, like discuss a person in college football who exemplifies worst in sportsmanship, leadership, or just being a fan. And actually, Beads, this week, it's going out to a bunch of officials. Really? Yes. There was just some boneheaded officiating this weekend. Okay. Two different games. For first up, Beach, an officiating mix-up by an SEC crew cost Penn State a down on an offensive series during the first half of Saturday's 28-20 victory over Auburn. Now, trailing 10-7 early in the second quarter, Penn State punted to Auburn after referee James Carter ruled it was 4th and 11. Now, the the Nittany Lions had been flagged for intentional grounding on first down, which is an automatic loss of down foul. Now, on 2nd and 16, quarterback Sean Clifford found wide receiver Johan Dotson for a five-yard gain. But then the head official Carter announced the next play as fourth down, and Penn State brought punter Jordan Stout on the field. Now, Penn State coach James Franklin said he tried to alert the officials of the downs mix-up, but could not get the call changed. He said, quote, I talked to all the officials, and they said, look, they all agreed on the call, and so did the replay official. They all agreed. I kept bringing them over and saying, it's not accurate. I don't know what else I can tell them, but they all concurred, all the officials, they got on the headset, they talked to each other, and they all agreed. They ran it by replay, and they all agreed as well. I don't know what else I can say. Now, Beach, the SEC said in a statement after the game that the crew, quote, 
erroneously sent the down to third after the intentional grounding penalty on first down. So they just screwed him out of a down. So how, and I, I guess I'm sitting there going, how did they all miss that? I don't know. And I've seen it happen before where actually teams have been given an extra down. Mm-hmm. There's been fifth down plays allowed. And I but don't they, know. They should have been, please, can you please break down the, the four plays for me that would have, or three plays that would have brought and that's, us the I don't understand down. how they go back to the replay and replay can't go back and say, okay, wait a minute. Let's see the, what, what was down was it on, on the, uh, you know, run run the plays back. Just just replay it. So. Go to the guy in the booth, something. Yeah. Well, they did, and they still screwed it up. Well, I'm talking about, like, like the guys in the booth, the guys calling the game. Yeah. Like, call, call up the guy on the radio who's giving the play-by-play. Yeah. Hey, help us out with this one. Completely agree. Beach also, in the Memphis-Mississippi State game later on in the day, there were multiple officiating mistakes on Memphis's 94-yard punt return for a touchdown in the fourth quarter of the Tigers' 31-29 win over Mississippi State. So that one actually. That. So there was multiple blown calls on a punt return for a touchdown in the fourth quarter of the Memphis Tigers' 31-29 win over Mississippi State. Now with 5:58 left. Mississippi State punted the ball from its own 47-yard line. The ball went past Memphis returner, and a Mississippi State player knocked the ball back onto the field of play at the goal line. So you know in college football, the ball doesn't have to land in the end zone. It just Correct. has to cross the goal line. Correct. So like in the NFL, you can die, you can jump from the field of play, grab the ball that's in the air, and throw it back out, and it can be downed. But in college, as Correct. soon as it crosses the goal line, it's down. You can be standing in the end zone. As long as the ball is not in the end zone, then it's dead right there. Correct. Right? So the ball was going towards the end zone. The guy threw it back in. And another guy for Mississippi State touched the ball to down it. But he just kind of tapped it, and it rolled dead. Now, as the ball was lying on the turf, the Memphis returner picked up the ball and headed down the right sideline. Now that guy outran the surprised Mississippi State defenders to give Memphis a 28-17 to lead. Wow. Now, that can be a legal play, right? Because that ball is not dead until the officials blow it dead. That's why I've had people always go, why do they go up and put their hands on it, you know, and push it down? Because the ball has to be blown dead. You have to show you possess it and you're downing it right there. Mm-hmm. Because if you just touch it, it's still a live ball. And so, the but the returner can pick up the ball and run with it. And even if he loses 20 yards or let's say he gets hit and fumbles the ball, by rule, he, he can, you can take it at first touching. But it's not dead until it's dead. It's not dead until they whistle it dead. The problem is, if you watch the replay of the of the the play, the mm-hmm. Mississippi State guy touches the ball, doesn't down, he just kind of taps it, and there's an official running up from behind the play, and he's waving his arms over his head, which should have signaled signaled the stopping of the clock, and that the play was over. 
but it went uh-huh. unseen. And so the player ran all the way up and scored. And it was just a screw-up. It reminds me of the play where Evanson Bernard against Washington a few years ago, yeah. where it either should yeah, have been a touchdown or a down ball. Yeah, and mm-hmm. nobody threw the beanbag to mark that there was a change of possession. Yeah. And the guy was actually marking, the official was marking the spot where Evanson should have been down. And then they just overruled him, moved it back, and they never replayed the play. They wouldn't be able to do that nowadays because that it would... It should be replayed. Yeah. yeah. And you can challenge it. But anyways, it was just I, a complete just, mess by the officials. That was the closest thing I'd ever seen an Oregon State game going to a riot. That's the most I've ever booed at a football game in my life. Oh, God. You know, I, I just remember those those refs just running off the field with protection. But so for these yeah. massive screw-ups what in what should be easy football, these refs get this week's... <laughs> Jackass of the week. Anyways, it was just stupid. Stupid refereeing. How do you lose it? To, to lose a down is just beyond me. Yep. Like I said... Uh, what is yeah i don't and then understand we have our, i don't understand how the guy game. who's got the who's got the the down marker doesn't realize you don't go from first to third yeah yeah well and the guy who's got the down marker he is a ref correct yes well he's an official yes yeah all those but guys he's not just some guy off the street he's, well but he's but he's the who's ever got the down marker which is right where the the ball is marked the head linesman's right in front of him it seems mm-hmm. like he would say something. And here we got our game where the ref calls out and adds him, adds one second <laughs> to the play call. Added one second to the play call. Yeah, what, what was there, like eight minutes left in the game? Yep. Something I, I, like that. And he's like, one, really, one second this many in the game? I'm glad you're, glad you're watching the clock so closely, sir. Yep. So. All right, Beach. it is now time for our musical interlude of the week. And last week I gave Dano the chance to pick the song this week. And Dano so is a, Dan- Dano's an old co-worker of mine who now lives in Texas, but is still a big Beaver fan. And so Dano sent me an email, and let me tell you, it's a heck of a thing, so I'm going to start reading it here. You ready? All right, let's do this. This is from Dano. He says, call me Alice. Anxious. Call me Alice as I slip down the rabbit hole into the wonderland that we call music from 1991. One can easily make the argument that not since 1964 and the British rock invasion has a single year had a more profound and seismic shift on what we listen to as Americans. The explosion of the grunge movement out of Seattle was led with Pearl Jam's 10, Nirvana's Nevermind, and Soundgarden's Bad Motorfinger. Not as well known, but just as good was a future supergroup of Soundgarden's Chris Cornell and Pearl Jam's Jeff Amet, Stone Gossard, and Mike McCready, known as Temple of the Dog, Eponymous album as a tribute to former Mother Love Bone lead singer Andrew Wood, who died of a heroin overdose. That side note, that's a really good album. Temple of the Dog. Uh, mm-hmm. Hunger Strike. If you ever heard that song, Hunger Strike's from that 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 album. Now, Daniel I- continues. After years of being relegated to college rock stations, REM and the Red Hot Chili Peppers exploded on the scene with their critically acclaimed albums Out of Time and Blood Sugar Sex Magic, respectively. While mainstream success was yet to be had, the Smashing Pumpkins' Gish and Green Day's Kerplunk 1991 releases laid the foundation for their subsequent rise in the mid-90s. 
rap was brought even further into the mainstream with NWA's second full-length follow-up to their Straight Outta Compton album, Ice Cube's Death Certificate, and Ice-T's OG original Gangsta, all being released in 1991. If you tuned into the season premiere of Saturday Night Live on September 28th, you would have been treated with Public Enemy as the musical host, promoting the release of Apocalypse 91, The Enemy Strikes Back. 1991 was the first time a country album entered the Billboard Top 100, excuse me, the Top 200 at number one with former Oklahoma State track and field athlete Garth Brooks' third album, Rope in the Wind. And can you even have a discussion about 1991 without including one-hit wonders like I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred, Unbelievable by EMF, and Good, by, Good Vibrations by Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch? But when I think of the Heiner Tailgater, as evidenced by the VH-inspired logo, it's about rock. 1991 was a phenomenal year for rock releases with the following previously mentioned in earlier podcast, Guns N' Roses, The Illusion Albums, Van Halen's For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, which Dano highlighted the F-U-C-K in that, Metallica's Back Black Album, and U2's Octungue Baby. Other 1991 releases include Skid Row's Slave to the Grind, Alice Cooper's Hey Stupid, Tom Petty's Into the Great Wide Open, and Prince and the New Power Generation's Diamonds and Pearls. Even Kiss had a 1991 release, a cover of Argent's God Gave Rock and Roll to You, which appeared on Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey soundtrack. Which, yes, that's a great one. Although they, re- is, they rewrote I, I some of the to, lyrics from that album, from that song. I, I have to interrupt. Um, Dano is doing a phenomenal job right now. Oh, he phenomenal. I know. This I know. is freaking phenomenal. Yeah. Like I'm going through this all through my head and he's like, I'm like, my God, I'm, I'm like right back into 1991. I feel like I'm right back in high school. So, so anyway, we're going to keep going here. Dano continues songs from every one of those albums above were considered, but it was, but as I was coming home from work yesterday, a song came up on the Spotify playlist. The opening bass lick that changes back and forth between octaves. The snare and cymbal crash. The ominous synthesizer. The gradual yet heavy guitar lead-in. And then, back to only drums. Until the 52-second mark of the song where the Oz man cometh. Album facts here, Beej. No More Tears is Ozzy Osbourne's sixth solo studio album. It topped the Billboard charts at number 7 on October 4th, 1991, and spent a total of 88 weeks on the chart. Loudwires ranked the album number 22 on their list of top 90 hard rock and metal albums of the 90s. This was also the first album that Oz recorded sober. He had become a family man at that time and was even rumored to be and was even rumored to exercise from time to time. Now the song No More Tears was written by Ozzy Osbourne along with his guitarist Zach Wilde, drummer Randy Castillo, who was also of Quiet Riot, bass player Mike Inez, and producer John Perdell. At 7 minutes and 23 seconds, it's his longest recorded studio song. When asked how the song came together, Zach Wilde is quoted as saying, quote, we were just messing around in rehearsals, Mike started jamming that on the bass, then Randy started playing drums, and then John started doing that keyboards bit. Now, while in the past, Ozzy has been on the trial for a song suggesting fans commit suicide, no More Tears is credited for saving an autistic boy's life. In 2011, Joshua Robb ran away from school and slid into the woods in Twin Peaks, California. Robb's father suggested to police that instead of using bullhorns and sirens to coax him out from hiding, they play his favorite song, No More Tears. 
He was found a mile away from where he was last spotted. Rescuers lowered a basket down a ravine to bring the child to safety. So, Beej, with all of that, here's Dino's pick from Ozzy Osbourne's No More Tears, No More Tears.
song beach the um yeah you know i so he touched on all those you know you don't realize how much you know we we did a year for prince right we did mm-hmm. a year for van halen we did metallica didn't we one year yep and we did uh guns and roses uh did we and we did kiss and acdc as well i believe right? yes yeah so and and who would have thought they all had 1991 was a strong year for almost every one of those bands. It was really the last year of rock. I really feel that true because by 1993, it was I think grunge. grunge had taken out rock. And I mean, you still had Poison was still out there putting some stuff out, but it never got the radio play. No, nope. like like it did in 91 and 82. Yep. So 93, I think, kind of put the put the fork in it yep 
Is that when we were just talking, uh, you and I were just talking uh, during the tailgater that it has been 10 years since Janie Lane died. Mm-hmm. Janie Lane and Warrant, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, that, that'd be interesting when uh, when did Cherry Pie come out? Because that, don't they claim 1989 or 1990? 1990, I think. Was it another album? Because they always said that Cherry Pie killed rock and roll. Um, I mean, possibly, but the problem with that song is the, the record execs wanted a, that was not supposed to be the name of that album. The album was actually, yeah, the album was actually supposed to be called Uncle Tom's Cabin. And if you've ever heard Uncle Tom's Cabin. Better, best song that they've got. Oh, I think it's an amazing song. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the record execs listened to it and said, we need a single. We need someone that's going to get radio play. And so they went back and wrote Cherry Pie in like no time huh. at all. Yeah. Interesting. All right, Beach. It is now time to move on to this week's picks. Oh, we didn't update our scores from last week. You had a great week. Uh, you only lost two. You're at now 21 out of 28. I'm at 18 out of 28. And Kyle is at 17 out of 28. You only missed two games last week. That's pretty good. Not as good as my perfect week I had last year, but, you know, you're doing okay. All right, Beach. I've got Kyle's picks here. Let's go back to them. Here we go. All right. So, Beach, week four in the Pac-12. Now we're into um, the Pac-12 season, so we only have usually six games a week to pick instead of 12. Hold so, on. Hold on. Oh, okay. First I'm, I'm up. Good. All right. First up, Washington State at Utah. Ooh. Hmm. That's like looking at two turds in the toilets and which one's going to go down the hole first. Um. Let's do Utah. Okay. I too am taking Utah. Kyle says this is a must win for the Utes. Utah must be an M-U-S-S, which is what they call their stadium. Okay. Gotcha. Thank you, Billy. I wouldn't have gotten that joke. I know. It's a little too sophisticated for me tonight. All right, Beach. Next game, UCLA at Stanford. Uh, I'm thinking I'm going to pick UCLA on that one. I'm taking Stanford. Kyle says Stanford because F. Chip Kelly. <laughs> I like his reasoning. No, no. I, I mean, that was the only reason why I would have picked Stanford, but... I think they're going to come back strong from their loss this week. Yeah. So, and I still think you were saying Stanford isn't as good as they were. And I think Chip Kelly will do well, even yeah. though I, I hope it's, you know, I just Stanford, smart guys, Stanford, smart guys. I don't think, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, the UCLA quarterback makes the best decisions. So, mm, okay. Standing by Stanford. All right. Next game, Cal at Washington. I'm going to take the Huskies on that one. I mean, they're playing at home, and I, yeah, I just think Cal's going to be too busy trying to save trees or something. Yeah. I, too, am taking UW. Kyle says Huskies win at home. Okay. Easy one. Halfway through the week, or the uh, the, the schedule, Arizona at Oregon. I'm taking Oregon. 
You gotta take Oregon. <laughs> Kyle? What did Kyle take? Uh, you're taking Oregon. Kyle says, my six-year-old says Arizona. I like that better. So he's taking Arizona. Really? Yeah. But see, he's got an out because he's going to blame it on his six-year-old daughter. Wow. What a dad right there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, Colorado at Arizona State. Ooh, I'm going to go with the Sun Devils on this one, Billy. Same here. Kyle says, ASU is less sucky. Arizona State. He's taking ASU. I think we forgot ASU two weeks in a row. Picking. Must not like them. Mm. All right. And the mm-hmm. last game of the week, which we're not going to pick, Oregon State mm-hmm. at UCLA. Obviously, we're taking Oregon State. At USC. Did yep. you say UCLA? I meant at USC, yeah. Yeah. Kyle says, Beavs win at the Coliseum? Question mark. Do you make the drive? I wish I could. I'm actually working at Suds on Saturday. Have when was the last time we won at the Coliseum? 1960. Do you think this could be the year? I you know what? I've always wanted the last few times the Beavs have played down there. I'm like, I want to be there. You know, I want to be there to um see it, right? Mm. I want to be there to see it. And I never have. Obviously they've they've lost every time I've been there. And mm-hmm. I figure by the time I get down there, the one time I don't go, they're probably gonna win. Yep. I can see that. Yep. So Well, I, I think I think they got a good shot this week. I think so too. They need to play within themselves and keep improving and, and really run the ball well. That's what they've done. They've had great balance. I don't know if you've noticed that, but you know, they've had great balance in every game. Meaning that they're they're not they're not leaning too heavily on rushing or passing. Mm-hmm. But they have a great balanced no, attack. No, I would agree with that. I don't feel like we're leveraged. No. You know, in the past, we've always had really strong running backs, and I feel like our, our aerial attack has, has suffered. But we, Or vice we've versa. A, yeah. But, uh, no, I feel like we've got a very balanced crew, um, and nobody's a particular target. You know, I, like when Jaquiz Rogers played, he was target. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, we had certain targets that, Ultimately, the the defense would key on them, and they would shut down our offense. Mm-hmm. And we've got a nice, uh, nice, like you said, nice balance, and uh, harder for them to defend, yeah. and gives us more opportunities. You had eleven guys catch passes on Saturday. That's, that's saying fantastic. something. Yeah, that's saying something. Yeah, I think the Beavs have a shot. I I want to see mm-hmm. them. This to me, this is the last monkey on the Beavs' back for like bad streaks. Mm-hmm. You know. It used to be they'd never won in Phoenix. They hadn't done this. They hadn't, they hadn't had a winning season. They hadn't gone to a bowl game. They hadn't done this. You know, there's, the last two streaks are winning at USC and going to the Rose Bowl. Wouldn't that be amazing if it happened all this year? I would love it. I have a countdown on always my phone, Beach. I've always wanted to see Pasadena at uh, at New Year's. Well, I've got a I've got a countdown on my phone. Do you? Yep. It's, it's just counting down. Does does it does it allow you to put in like standings? Like no, you can you can put in like a date. Um, oh, okay. Like uh, um, 
count down to this. So, like, if we've got a trip coming up, count down till this, count down to that. So you have a countdown to the Rose Bowl? I have a countdown that has 104 days. Okay. All right. That's all I'll say. From when we're recording Alrighty. this, it's 104 days. Anyways, Beat. Uh... Well, it was a great game this week and a great tailgater. And hopefully next week we have another great Beaver win in USC to talk about. You know, and, you know, here's Billy. If, if we win the Powerball tomorrow, I think it's tomorrow or Wednesday. There's one on Monday. Okay, if there's one on Monday, uh, but let's go ahead and book those reservations, okay? <laughs> All right. All right, we'll do that. All right. All right. Okay. Until next week, here's a great big Go Beavs. Which released their upon, I want to say this right, Beach. Eponym, eponymous, eponymous, opus. This is a really Epono- big word, Billy. Eponymous, eponymous. Trying to listen to it. You know, I'm glad the Anno knows this. Gets out his thesaurus when he writes his stuff out. Eponymous. It's eponymous. Did you just hear that? Eponymous. 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 I think it's only in my headphones. Okay. I'm going to cut all this part out so nobody will hear it. I'll probably stick it at the end. I'll probably stick it at the end for those people that listen to the end. (laughs) Quit laughing because I can't cut it in if you're laughing, dick. Such an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Fix it in ending. We'll fix it in ending. You can even hear a discussion. You can even have a discussion about 1991. You can even and and can you even have a discussion about 91? And can you even? I like beer. <laughs>